0: oh I should have done like a Valentine's Day intro and I'm like oh how can I rig this towards like love and stuff and then I realized that the whole talk is about love so that's awesome uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus' love for us um, for his lost sheep and so you've just heard that read cheers Dean um, and we're going to get into it so I thought it'd be interesting to see so flip side is a lunchtime group that runs, it's a Christian group with food, runs at certain schools. I'm interested to see who goes to Flipsock. Can I get a hand? Oh yeah, not bad. It's not every school, but yeah, it's a good thing to get along to. And, um, I was pretty patchy in my attendance during uni, but now I've finished uni, I've been going to, um, Henry Kendall one all the time. And it's pretty sweet. You, you kind of, I reckon there's like four groups of people there, but I'm just going to talk about two just now. Two that I can think of quite distinctly. You've got the guys that sit kind of like in, in the good spot. So these guys here, good on you. Um, and here. Um, they sit in the good spot. They can um, hear the talk. They don't talk during the talk. Uh, they talk to the leader afterwards. They don't go crazy over the food. They just enjoy it like normal adults. And they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for the right reasons. I'm doing this right. This, this is how Flipside is done. Uh, I deserve to be here kind of thing. Uh, maybe that's taken a bit too far. But anyways... Um, then you've got this other group that's quite um, challenging, which is the guys that rock in at the back, they're like mayhem all through the talk, they're just like chatting, not caring, they're just waiting for the food. And then, boom, sermon's over, grab the food, and they just like bolt and they're gone. Um, and then, actually, Jono was telling me one of the stories one time, so back in terrible days, holding a big thing of chips like this, the leader's just like, who am I going to talk to? Oh yeah, I'll go this group. Some dude just runs in from the side, just poof, takes the whole chips and just starts running, like leaving a trail behind him. And all the kids are like, oh yeah, <laughs> mine, mine, mine. Um, and, and so th- these are the kind of two groups you get at Flipside, right? And I reckon sometimes the first group, the, re- the respectful, sensible group, they kind of look at the second group and go, oh man, why are they here? Such a waste of time. for am like, this isn't what Flipside is. It's they should be hanging around and doing what I'm doing and not running off and this and that. Then you've got the leader who kind of sees this attitude and goes, no, 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 that's not how it is. Actually, flip sides for everyone, it's for you guys, I'm glad you're here, but it's also for those guys that are running off in the hope that they do hear uh, the gospel, hear the good news of Jesus and come to know him through that and so. You kind of got this, like, nah, no, no, you got it wrong. We're actually here for these guys as well. It's not just you're doing it right and they're doing it wrong, and let's get rid of them. So, anyways, I'm thinking that the story, the parable that Jesus tells here, is to a similar kind of crowd with those those kinds of groups in there. In the same way, Jesus is saying here that that these people, these um, the people that seem just too far off, they're, they're the people that he's seeking. Uh, the people that just seem like they're too they're lost, that's what they are. So you might be sitting here tonight thinking, man, I feel awkward. Um, singing was weird as Hazy was pointing out or whatever. I, I reckon we do it all the time in the shower and car, That's so not so weird, but anyways. Um, but man, I feel awkward. Everyone here seems so perfect and on about the same thing, and I feel a little bit out. Um, I'm such a bad person. I'm not fitting in with these goody two-shoes, anything like this. If anything, if we're going to go with the sheep, narrative. I'm a black sheep in the white flock kind of thing. You might be sitting here thinking that. Or you might be thinking, I'm a sweet dog white sheep. I'm here all the time. I come to youth every week. I'm quiet in talks. I'm loud in singing. Singing loud, not just loud, uh, as the juniors are. But whoever you are, as you're sitting there, I want you to really hear and see, see and hear what Jesus is teaching you uh, from his words here they are as relevant today as they were then. So, first thing we're going to realise that Jesus teaches in this parable is that everyone is lost. It's the first thing. Um, It's a little hard to see at first, but see if you can follow uh, where I'm going and see if we get to the same thought process and whatnot. So I reckon you can pretty easily see two groups of people as you read through. Uh, But the interesting thing is these two groups are described differently by Luke and Jesus. And so I'm going to talk about contextual Um, Description and then Jesus' description. And so, what I mean is the table that's going to come up, smash that one up. Um, Yep. So, context defined, Jesus defined. So, what I mean by context defined is that Luke writes his Pharisees, his sinners, and he's not making a judgment on those people, saying that those ones are sinners. He's just calling them what the context calls them. So, it's like Year seven kids and year nine kids that were there, kind of thing. So that's just the contextual definition that's come out of the way people think of people. And then we're going to look at what Jesus defines people. Um, so there's, yeah, let's have a look. First, we're going to look at the, the left side of that, the context defined. So you get verse one, have a read. Now the tax collectors and sinners were the gathering around to hear Jesus. So just catch that first group. It's got two people in the first group, tax collectors and sinners. So quick recap, um, tax collectors are like there's this governing authority, the Romans over the Jewish people, and they're running the town and running a town costs money so they pay taxes to keep the water flowing and that's just how it works. So the, the tax collector job in and of itself is not evil and bad but the people that were drawn to it were notoriously known for their greed and for, like skimming off the top and just being heaps dodgy, um, and so they had a pretty bad rap. They're just like, just bad people. They're just oppressing their own people and helping out the Romans. No one liked them. Really. What did the Romans ever do good for us? You know what I'm saying? Um, then you've got the sinners, right? So this is just anyone who failed to keep God's law, as the Pharisees saw it. It's not the same as sinners as Bible definition necessarily. It's just. Even if they disobeyed a Pharisaic law, like one that the Pharisees made up, that isn't actually God's law, still seen as sinners. Or it can be people that have just got public sin. And so prostitutes would be in this kind of group because it's just publicly known that they're being sexually immoral and so we call them sinners. And that's just kind of the label we give them. So that's the first group there, tax collectors and sinners. Second group, verse 2. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, "La la la." The second group we got two people again: Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now these guys are the most influential group around. Everyone looks up to them. They got like followers behind them. Um, people see them as like the upright. They're just the bomb as far as following God's laws, being righteous guys. Okay? Yeah. So you might think of like I don't know the Pope or something. Some average person on the street would. Would relate the Pope to kind of that kind of picture, and right at the end of verse two, this group says, um, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." So you can see that there is actually quite an obvious division. You've got um, the the sinners, the tax collectors, and the Pharisees, the scribes, and they're kind of the righteous. So the right, the sinners, and the righteous, the bad, and the good. It's kind of the division that's, that is set up. And from this point, that's where Jesus launches into this parable and he tries to teach them something. So a parable is just a story with a meaning and Jesus loves them and I love them too. They're sweet. We're going to dig into them. It's going to be awesome. Um, so whenever you see the language parable, it's good to ask yourself, who's he, who's he telling it to? Uh, why is he telling it? What's the, what's the meaning behind it apart from just being a pretty cool story that makes you think a little bit? Um, so get, we're going to keep digging into that. And so he says his parable, and then verse 7 is kind of the, the grounding of the parable. It's the bring it back to, as he wraps it up. And he kind of mentions the two groups of people there. So halfway through, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. So you kind of got that, sinner who repents and 99 righteous persons who do not repent. So you got the two groups there um, as Jesus defines, so Jesus uses the same kind of language. He kind of gets on side, makes them think, "Yeah, yeah, he's cool." So he calls, so let's chuck them up there, both of them. Um, so you got the sinners. He goes, "Yeah, cool, they're sinners. Fair enough, I'll give you that." But at least they're repentant. So we got repentant sinners, and then you got the. Um, he actually says the righteous persons, um, but does it mean the same thing, right? So are they actually righteous? Do they actually not need to repent? And hopefully this is sending some alarm bells off in your head because you're like, no, no, no. We, we, I know that there's no one righteous. There's no one good. Some of you might be thinking that. Everyone needs to repent. No one's good enough to not repent. So I don't think Jesus is saying that they're actually righteous here. I think he's almost using like a sarcastic tone to get on side. to, It's like a false sense of security with the punch coming. Um, so it captures what they think of themselves, right They think that they're righteous and they don't need to repent. whereas the sinners know that the sinners know that they're not righteous and that they do need to repent There's these two groups so it's written there lost and they know it, lost and they don't know it. So it's all to do with the repentance. So how many groups are there actually is a good question to ask how many people groups is he speaking to? Um, when you boil it down, There's really only one group. Jesus points out that everyone's lost and it's just that some don't think they are. So final slide, lost. Either way, either way they're defined, they're both just in the same boat. So that's pretty good. Both need finding. And so everyone here uh, tonight is or has been a lost sheep. It's super important to realise that truth. If you haven't thought about this, Pretty good chance you might be lost. Oh man, got to shave. Um, bring back the beard. It's not working. Um, yeah, it's super important to realise where you stand. So knowing that is good. Um, if you're coming here tonight and you feel broken, feeling like God doesn't love you, um, Jesus has some awesome news in this parable coming. If you're cocky and you don't feel drawn to Jesus, so like verse one, our tax collectors and sinners were all gathering to hear Jesus if you don't feel like you're drawn to Jesus like that then maybe it's that you feel like you don't need him maybe you need to realise that you are lost and there's heaps good news for people who do realise that they are lost and if you're someone who was lost and is now found Jesus has some encouraging news for you guys some reminders but then also some challenges so Jesus makes clear that everyone's lost That's the first point that I want you to get. The second one that we learn from the parable is that Jesus seeks and saves the lost. So check it out in verse 4 and 5. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. So the shepherd in this story will, and it says, will go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And once he's found it, puts it on his shoulder, heads home. Verse 7, again, is where he brings it all back to the ground, into the real world, and it's where we pick up. So in the same way, that kind of language, in the same way as what he's just said, there'll be more rejoicing over one sinner. And so we realise he's not just talking about saving sheep. These are the layers. Um, He's not just talking about sheep, which is cool. He's talking about saving people, saving sinners. And that's profound, and it's easy for that to... Wash over us. We've heard it so many times before. But if you pause and think about it, it really is so amazing. So Jesus, the shepherd, comes and he comes looking for sinners. I don't think I'm reminded of this enough. I don't think we hear it enough. He goes he goes out to them. We can see it in verse two. The the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they kind of condemn him for it. He says, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He's actively pursuing those lost people he says, this parable's almost like to the Pharisees, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm here for these people, the lost people. I'm gonna, The ones that realize they're lost, I'm going to save them. I'm going to bring them back. It's just like that flip side leader. No, no, you don't get it. Those are the guys we're here for. Those are the ones that are most lost. We really need to be getting the message to them. So this whole little situation has actually happened before, 10 chapters ago. So come back with me to Luke 5, verse 30. i Got it? Um, I'll read that out and it's, you'll see the similarities. It's all the same groups of people, probably different people, the same contextual groups. Um, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law, who belong to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Same groups. Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the Pharisees, they're there, they're just hanging around, just having a go. This time it's more of a question, not so much a a judgment on Jesus. But why do you hang around these bad people? And here, Jesus spells it out as clear as day. He goes, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've come for the sick. They need me. They know they need me. I'm going to make them well. I'm going to save them. So back to Luke 15. Flick back that way. How does Jesus save them? Um, this is where parables are so good. You can just keep digging in and finding new stuff to be sweet and stoked about. You get to pick at and pick at them. So let me ask you guys, quite literally, I'm about to ask you, and I want to hear something, Okay, just preparing you for non-rhetorical questioning. Um, How is the lost sheep saved? Any ideas? Shepherd saves him, yeah? Cool. What's the process? What happens to the sheep when it's saved? Yeah, cool. So the shepherd comes out, chucks him on his shoulder. What might this teach us, young daniel son, about the way Jesus saves? He does a lot. Does a lot. That's good. It's good enough. Sweet. Um, it teaches us that when Jesus saves, when the shepherd saves, he saves completely. He does it all himself. He doesn't kind of... You now. Every time I think of a shepherd finding a lost sheep, I think of the Moses um, the cartoon, Prince of Egypt. So he rocks around and and he doesn't just rock up to the, the sheep and go, Ugh, you took a wrong turn or something. Here's a map. Um, you can see the caves and stuff. And we're over here. I'll catch you there. And just run off. He doesn't do that. He picks the sheep up and carries it. Because that's the only way it's going to get back. Um, it's lost. So we as humans, we love to invent our own little maps to the gospel. Right? They come out in so many different ways. You might ask someone, What's Jesus done for you? And they'll go, Oh, he gave me a bunch of ways to live a better life so I can go to heaven and be with him. It's like, What? No. Who is Jesus, you might ask? And they go, Wasn't he a wise teacher told us some stuff of how to live to get to heaven? What? No. According to this, Jesus is the shepherd. He's out. He's with the tax collectors. He's seeking people. He picks you up and he carries you all the way over his shoulder. That's heaps good news that Jesus completely does it. He does a lot. He does it all. When the sheep is over the shoulder, it's not doing anything to get back. It's not doing anything. It's all Jesus. And that's pretty sweet. I reckon it's such a powerful image and story that that Jesus teaches us that sinners, he completely saves them in such a short little illustration. It's cool, remember it. But I want to go a little deeper again. Keep digging it up. It's a good parable. How does Jesus seek? I'll make this one rhetorical. Verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Jesus won't give up seeking and saving his lost sheep. Here Jesus is teaching us that those who Jesus sets out to seek and save, He will seek and save. And for some of you, I want—if if, if this is just new don't worry about it. It's not too—not too big of a deal. But for those who are picking up on this, thats, that's Jesus saving people, hundred percent. If you're saved by Jesus, you are saved by Jesus. It's awesome. He won't give up. Mind blown. It's awesome. There's such depths and detail in like a three verse story. It's amazing. But it doesn't end there. The final thing that Jesus teaches us here is that he values and loves the lost. This is where I realized, hey, it is quite valentines daisy But um, he, we, we get the picture as, as how Jesus seeks and saves the lost, that he loves and values them. And it's really, it's everywhere. So I'm going to take us through it. If he, um, if he just didn't even bother... Um, seeking and saving, then it would show us that he doesn't care, doesn't love. But I'm going to show us something else. So there's many points and we're going to start in verse 2. So we've already read a few times. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now the big problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus doing this is that welcoming and eating with sinners is associating yourself with sinners. It kind of happens today. I was watching our Mean Girls with... Jack Moi the other night. He hadn't seen it, so I introduced him. And it's heaps like that cafeteria scene. Like, if you eat with the jocks, then you're cool by association. If you eat with the nerds, boom, reputation out the window. You are a nerd by association. This is kind of what's going on for the Pharisees. Like, why are like, why are you eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? It might be your first night here. You might feel out of place. But how would you feel loved here? I hope that someone welcomes you in. But not only that, starts associating with you, hanging out with you, having a drink, sharing a drink, sitting down, chatting. That's how you know that you feel appreciated and loved. And that's how you could love someone in return. But let's keep moving. Um, in the parable verse 4, we can see an inherent value for the sheep in that the shepherd says he's got 100 sheep and he leaves the 99 out in the open to to... to Find the one. He values this lost sheep so much so that he'd risk everything for it. But let's keep moving. Verse five. It's everywhere. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. In this in this parable, Jesus isn't. We're not supposed to feel guilty. He's not teaching us about the barrier of sin. This is one of those times where Jesus gets to just teach us that he loves us. When he finds a sheep, he doesn't punish it. He doesn't get angry he doesn't yell at it not even like a comical insult like you bad boy nothing like that it's just joyfully chucks it on his shoulders heads home joyfully that's awesome let's keep moving verse 6 so he goes home and he calls up his friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me i found my lost sheep it's a great thing that Jesus finds his lost sheep. He's stoked. He doesn't just chuck it back into the fold and then just go about his job. Nah. He takes off the rest of the day and he, oh, I just realized he calls. That's how he's funny. I, I, how does he call? I don't know. But he calls his mates. Um, yeah, that's funny. I just realized that. Um, such is the value of this sheep. That he just takes a day off and he's like, let's party. I found my sheep. This is awesome. And finally, in verse 7, again, it grounds it in reality. It says, In the same way, there will be much more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. There will be rejoicing in heaven when sinners repent. Not an angry face, not a, a punch or a turnaround or a wooden spoon. Just love and rejoice. We will look at this more in the coming weeks. It's so amazing. So... Jesus really does love and value the lost sheep, the sinners. He rejoices over them. The God of the universe rejoices over saved sinners. So good. All this to say that Jesus, I hope you're getting it, loves the individual, loves you individually, loves the world, loves you, the individual sheep. So how do you tell if someone values something, loves something? I reckon you can ask, what will they give up for it? And so if you've got two things like, one of those classic movie type things, like does he love his car more or his wife? Yeah, I guess you could, whoa, whoa, that's too hectic, too hectic. He, oh, no, nah, they're all too hectic. I was going to say, oh, just burn. You could like, go to burn either of them. And, yeah, sorry, terrible. But... Um, And see which one he's like flinching over more, you know. Um, I can't think of any, I was going to say bash and then that that was kind of worse. Um, Yeah, that's how you can kind of figure out. Jono's got me. Um, Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. He demonstrates his love for us in this. While still sinners, Christ died for us. So the very act act of God seeking and saving us shows us the value of the individual to God. It's the value and love of God for the lost sheep where it costs Jesus' life. It costs the Father's son. Wow, the shepherd dies for the one lost sheep. You can't even imagine that. Like, your son die or this person that hates you which one of them i'll burn up burn up my son it's ridiculous so the shepherd dies for his one lost sheep remember that so where does all this land jesus is teaching what does he teach us i figure it lands in like three big applications i'll just talk them through number one is where do i stand that's the first thing I reckon Jesus is challenging. Although we can kind of pull, like, are we? Are you lost? Maybe you've never thought about it. That's something you need to answer. Maybe you're a bit like a Pharisee. You don't think you're lost or need saving. You've got this false confidence in your maturity. Maybe you've been around for a couple of years. But you need to rely on Jesus completely. And, and instead of having a life marked by arrogance and and just not knowing and not thinking about it, Have a life that's characterised by repentance. Because repentance is the ones that will be rejoiced over, the found sheep. Second one is that Jesus loves me. I really, really, really want you guys to leave with this. I think it's a unique part of the Bible that we can just see Jesus' love for us and he makes it so plain and clear. Um, If you know you're a lost sheep or you're feeling like you might be one, The biggest thing that Jesus wants you to know from this parable is that he loves you, he values you, and he's done everything that needs to be done in order to bring you back. So the question then is, would you be found? Would you do that? Would you trust in the shepherd and get on Jesus' shoulder and be carried back? Tonight, tonight you can do just that. It's that simple. Jesus has done it all. Put your trust in Jesus. Challenge you to do that, and the third one, I can just ask yourself the question: How can I be like Jesus out of this? How can I be like Him? This is for you guys that are lost and found. How can I be like the the awesome Shepherd? How can I be on about what He's on about? So, how can you love the lost like Jesus does? You might want to ask yourself the question: Do I love the lost? Maybe I haven't even thought about it. Are you on His mission? of seeking and saving the lost. He handed the baton, the mission, over to us to partner with him in it. So bringing people here, it's a pretty easy way to bring people to hear God's word so that he can save, seek and save, to hear the good news of Jesus. we got double up next week. Invite mates there. Show that you care about them by inviting them along, getting them along. Do you show value for the lost like Jesus did? How much are you really giving up? What's valuable to you? To what's truly valuable for eternity and to Jesus? It's a value question. I had a mad conversation with my mate from primary school. People go, "You've still got mates from primary school?" Yeah. Caught up with him um, yesterday. Figured out it'd been about a year, so that wasn't so good. But I'm um, keen to be catching up with him because we we had this conversation that was sweet. He he finally understood why I talked to him about Jesus. Um, instead of seeing it as like a, trying to cram your beliefs down my throat and this kind of thing, he has some kind of illustration there from his childhood and, and his relationship with his dad that he realised, yeah, you, you're trying to tell me this because you think it's true and you care for me. And I was like, yeah, how the heck did I get there? You should tell everyone that. Like... It was such a good understanding to come to and I just left it there because I'm like, I'm happy there. I'm coming back next week and we'll chat some more. Just be doing that, letting people know that it's love that motivates you. It's love that motivates Jesus, not a wrathful hand that's just wanting to beat you into line. And a final kind of thing, how can I be like Jesus? Do you continue to love people when they come to Jesus? regardless of who they might seem externally. Will you associate with people? Love people like Jesus did. I reckon that's something we want to definitely be doing. So how about I pray now for all of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, Jesus, that, that he is the shepherd that seeks, saves, and that he loves and values each and every one of us. I pray that you'd challenge us from this, whether it's the challenge to consider whether we are lost, whether it's a challenge to consider um, how are we being like Jesus, or whether it's a challenge to just remember that Jesus loves us, that you love us. Uh, we pray that you'd move us forward from here, uh, that, that we wouldn't be delaying anymore, that people would give their lives to Jesus tonight. Um, that they'd hop on and be carried um, and that, yeah, the rest of us would be striving to be like Jesus, loving like Jesus. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen.